You may be thinking, I'm not super nerdy. Why do I want to have a computer that's running all the time at my house? Because if data is not in two places, then it doesn't exist. Welcome to No Strings, a Freedom Tech podcast. This is a show about freedom technology because we're all interconnected in this modern world. Freedom Tech gives you control over how and when you connect and where your data lives. On this show, we surface interesting projects and ideas, provide news updates, and interview builders and other key people in the Freedom Tech space. Our hope is that you walk away from each episode with a new idea of how to do at least one thing differently something that maybe helps you regain control of your information. The content of these episodes is geared so that anyone, regardless of technical skill level, can do something today. No Strings is a value-for-value podcast. That means that uh, if you find value in what we're doing, please send value our way. You can do this by streaming small amounts of Bitcoin called sats. Uh, You can do it through your favorite podcast 2.0 app, something like Fountain or Podverse. You can zap the note on Noster for this episode, or you can send a boost through your podcast app. Listen, we really appreciate those, and we read them at the end of each show. Lastly, you can visit the website at nostrings.show support. I'm also going to start uh, writing and publishing some articles. I don't know if I'll publish them there or if I'm going to do it somewhere else, but uh, there will be other things uh, to read on that website. I'd also like to give a shout out to Pleb Lab in Austin, Texas. I hung out there recently and chatted with some great people there. They were all hacking away on various projects. Um, but uh, yeah, shout out to you. All right. What are we going to talk about today? Well, from the title of this episode, we're going to be talking about home servers. What is a home server and why you should have one? So the goal for today's show is for you to get a computer at home that is always on and provide you and have it providing you with some kind of service. So we will get to that here in a bit. But before we get into the main content of the show, I always like to give updates. So I have quite a few updates from the last two weeks since I posted the last episode. Uh, So let's jump into those now. Um, First one is uh, there's been an update to uh, the Noster browser called Spring. It's a browser for Android. Um, They had a release this week, so go check that out. Um, River uh, posted their big lightning report. The the company River, if you're you're not familiar with them, they are a Bitcoin exchange, if you will. They're not really exchange. A company where you can buy Bitcoin and do like safe custody and stuff with Bitcoin. Um, But they they do a report. I think they do this annually or maybe every year or something. But they posted this giant report all about the lightning network. Um, one tough thing about Lightning is that because it's so decentralized, it's hard to actually have metrics over how big the network is. Uh, but they are one of the biggest Lightning providers and, and nodes. And so they were able to extrapolate some of that data. Um, so go check out their blog. They've got a, a huge uh, write-up there. The headline for it is that the Lightning network has grown 1,200% uh, in the last two years. So a lot more usage on Lightning. A big thanks to that is also through Noster. A lot of lightning usage going through Noster now. Okay. Uh, the project OX Chat has an update. 
They, this is a decentralized chat service and they've actually added voice and video calls. So that's pretty awesome. You can now do VoIP and uh, video over, over really decentralized chat service. Next, the item that I have here on my list, MasterCard. So the EFF, um, which if you don't know, is the uh, Electronic, uh, Electronic Frontier Foundation, sorry. Um, they published an article talking about how MasterCard should stop selling our data. And uh, the article goes in and, and just discusses how MasterCard is, is collecting all sorts of information about you every time you swipe it. You know, you think those rewards that you get back for using your credit card, well, those don't come for free, right? Part of that is they pay for those rewards at the expense of those who are racking up huge amounts of credit card debt. But another way that they pay for those rewards is that they gather all your data and sell it. So uh, there's an article about that. I'm gonna have all these in the show notes, by the way, so you can go check them out. Uh, Noster client, Domus, one of the biggest ones out there. It had a big 1.6 release um, this in the last couple weeks. So if you're using Domus, go to the app store and decide if you want to update or not. Some major things in here. One of the big ones is Noster DB. Uh, so I'm just going to quickly read a bit here. Uh, JB55, he says, I've been quiet lately. I've been working on something big. In the past two weeks, there have been 9,500... 39 new lines of code added to Domus. Uh, almost 3,000 lines removed, 279 files changed. I've rewritten much of the code base in preparation for the NosterDB integration. And what is NosterDB? Well, NosterDB is an integrated relay within Domus with the same design as StirFry, but slightly different to support embedding into Noster apps. And he goes on, um, he lists his goals and, and the benefits of it and stuff. Um, there are a bunch of other smaller features and other things that went into 1.6, but NosterDB is the main one. It's supposed to help the client run a lot faster, and there's all sorts of other cool things that are coming come in the future because of that. Okay, on the home server front, Citadel, Citadel home server had a, a 0.2.9 release, and the author uh, and the maintainer of the project also posted a blog post talking about the future of the project. So if you're not familiar with this one, Citadel uh, is a spinoff from Umbral. It's not a code fork, um, but the person that does Citadel left the Umbral project and started this. Um, and so they, they talk about you know, what their goals were for it and how difficult it is to run a project all on your own and get bugs reported to you and try and fix them while building new features. Um, but uh, long story short, there is going to be a major update in the future called Nervati. And that is going to replace Citadel, and it's going to also have compatibility with Start9 apps and Umbral apps as well. So very interesting thing to kind of keep an eye on. Next up. Okay, if you have been paying attention at all to Bitcoin and, and the Lightning Network uh, in the last few days, then you might have noticed that there was a vulnerability that has been reported. Um, it was actually discovered and reported to the main projects back in December, but then uh, it's been made more public in the last week or so. This is called the Lightning Replacement Cycling Attack. Uh, in Bitcoin Magazine, uh, this is actually published, I think, today or yesterday. Um, there's a, a whole postmortem about it. 
And the long story short is that this is a very serious vulnerability that we should look at, but it's the sky is not falling and uh, it's currently not fatal. So go check it out. Again, link will be in the show notes on Bitcoin Magazine to go read that. Uh, another big item today was uh, Zapple Pay. So the, the people who brought us Mutiny Wallet uh, have also the side project going called Zapple Pay, which allows you to zap people uh, with Zap Noster notes and do other things. And they have introduced a new feature called Auto Zaps. The way that they described it, Ben described it as it's like a decentralized Patreon. Auto Zaps uses Noster uh, Web Connect. No, sorry, <laughs> Noster Wallet Connect, and allows you to subscribe to any account to support them with recurring zaps. So uh, I believe the way that this will behave is that you set it up and then something will just show up in your wallet and you just confirm it once a month. Now, really close on the heels of that, almost simultaneously, Pablo 7Z. Uh, if you don't know Pablo, Pablo releases a lot of software and is, is constantly working on stuff. Pablo uh, responded to them and said, oh, this is something I was just about to push out. It's called Support This Creator. Uh, and it's a tool that allows you to, to do something similar. So I don't know if it's going to use the auto zaps from Zapple Pay or for something totally different. Um, but both of these, go check them out. Uh, really cool because then you can have uh, a more subscription-like payment service moving forward uh, to support creators, support builders, but it also allows something to be built like, uh, you know, like Netflix subscription payments, that kind of stuff. Like just makes it really easy, but using lightning. Okay. A couple more items, uh, ministry of nodes. So this is a home server hardware provider. So topic today is home servers. Ministry of nodes released its home server for running a Bitcoin node. So if you are interested in buying just a, a piece of hardware that is dedicated to running a Bitcoin node, something you just want to kind of plug it in and forget about it, then go check it out, shop.ministryofnodes.com. And you can see, I think it's like $350 or something. So it's a little pricier, but not super pricey. Um, you, can, you can kind of do your own Bitcoin node for much cheaper than that. But this one is just super easy. Plug it in and it becomes your own. Bitcoin node, as well as you can, uh, you know, host other things on there. Last item for today, this is kind of a public service announcement, but if you use a Jade wallet from Blockstream, they just want to get the word out that uh, people are sending phishing emails out, uh, trying to get, get you to update your firmware or do other things um, and give up your, your information and your keys. So. They say you should only update your Jade firmware through the Blockstream Green Wallet application or through their dedicated firmware website. So really, as with everything, <laughs> if you are doing freedom technology, whether you're doing Bitcoin or whether you don't care about Bitcoin, I know that I talk a lot about Bitcoin on the show, um, but if that doesn't even, if, if you don't care about that, like any time that you're on the internet doing something and you're trying to have, uh, you know, sovereignty and control over your data, you need to be really careful with information security, um, phishing attacks, phone calls, emails, these kinds of things. Just be vigilant out there. All right. Stay safe. Cool. That's it for the updates. Next up, I'm always reading books like I talked about last time. So this is the quote I read section. I have actually been slowly listening to the, the book, The Sovereign Individual, this is something that was recommended to me for years and years and years. 
And uh, because it was written back in like the year 2000, I kind of just left it on the side because I figured, well, it's not new. There's so much new stuff coming out. I want to read the newer things. But after it got recommended way too many times, I just grabbed the audiobook. And so I, I prefer reading physical books, but I also like having an audiobook going just to kind of fill time when I'm done listening to podcasts. Because sometimes you just run out of podcast episodes that you want to listen to, even though your queue is like forever long. Uh, there's always those episodes that you just like keep bumping to the bottom of the list and you're like, yeah, those are important, but I'm, you just got to be honest with yourself. You're just never going to listen to those. Uh, three years are going to go by and they're still going to be in your queue. So maybe just declare queue bankruptcy and get rid of them and grab an audiobook. So anyways, Sovereign Individual, uh, from this book, it's written by James Dale Davidson and Lord William Rees Mogg. And here is the quote. The quote is, Societies that have been indoctrinated to expect income equality and high levels of consumption for persons of low or modest skills will face demotivation and insecurity. I'm going to read that one more time because it's very packed in there. Societies that have been indoctrinated to expect income equality and high levels of consumption for persons of low or modest skills will face demotivation and insecurity. So, I think that's a really powerful quote. I could talk more about it. I think I'll just say that, you know, we live in a, a world that has laws of nature and cause and effect. And when we try to alter those rules, people become demotivated and a society destabilizes. That's, that's what I take the quote to mean. So thought that was just interesting. Okay. On to the main content of this show. Let's talk about home servers. You may be thinking, I'm not super nerdy. Why do I wanna have a computer that's running all the time at my house? What purpose does that serve me? Okay, we're gonna talk about that now. If you're not a technical person, the word server might sound really heavy or even foreign to you. You know, we're not talking about a person who brings you food in your restaurant, right? Uh, in its simplest form, a server is simply a program that provides content to you. That's it. Just a piece of software that is delivering something to you. Um, now notice that I did not say device. I said program. That's because software serves up the content and you can have one device that is actually running multiple pieces of software that serve up all sorts of kinds of content, right? So you can have one computer that's running 10, 15, 30 servers on it. But more generally, when someone says server, they're just talking about a computer and they're talking about a computer specifically that is doing two things. One, it's always turned on. And two, it's delivering content. Typically that means it's connected to the internet because it's difficult to deliver content if it's not connected to the internet. However, you can have a server that only runs within your home and doesn't send information outside of the home. So I'm just gonna say it's those two things. It's turned on and it's delivering content. You can actually have a server that runs on a local computer and doesn't go out to the network at all. So, okay. So more generally, when someone says server, they're talking about that computer that's always running. And the most common way that you interact with servers on a day-to-day -day basis is probably through something that people call the cloud, right? The cloud is just a bunch of servers that are running in a data center somewhere. 
and the apps on your phone, the websites you visit on your laptop, those just talk to the computers that are running in the data center. That's all it is. That's all the cloud is. It's just a bunch of computers that have power and are delivering content to you. So think about Netflix, Spotify, games that you play, the bank website you visit, the news you read, you name it. They're all hitting some kind of server cluster that's running in a data center somewhere. Now, on a more personal level, a server is a place where you can store your things so that they're available to you when you want them. You can think of it like a digital version of a storage closet, right? Where you keep all your stuff in your house, or maybe it's a food pantry, right? You go in, open the door, and there are all these treats and snacks and other food in there. Uh, or you think of it as a kitchen where it's where you actually create and build things. And then you can also think of it as a home theater where you like to consume entertainment, right? So a server is all of those things rolled into one. Now on the last episode, we talked about uh, the apps that you use, right? I asked you to kind of go through your uh, list, uh, your usage report on your phone and look at how many apps you use and how long you use them and really like which ones are most important to you. And I asked you specifically, which one of these apps that are so important that if you lost the data on these apps, like your login stopped working or the company just went away, right? How messed up would you feel? How bummed would you be? Or even worse, would you not be able to make a living anymore? We're talking photos, documents, email, uh, you know, content that you've created. A home server kind of allows you to remedy that situation, right? A home server allows you to bring that content into a place where you control what's going on. You control what's called the uptime. And uptime is simply how long is the server running and how long is it connected serving up content, right? You control the uptime and you control the security of the device. Now, this might sound daunting and scary to you. You're like, oh my goodness, I'm gonna have to manage all this. Well, I would swap out the words daunting and scary and I would put in responsible and empowering, right? Taking responsibility for your life is not stress-free. It takes effort. It takes intention. Uh, you know, what happens if I mess up? I might lose everything. You really worry about that. Well, when we take on responsibility, we're also assuming some amount of risk that we could fail or we could lose things. You know, people don't like losing their stuff. So we look at areas of risk and we build solutions for them. For example, we have backups. Computers can have a backup so that the data is safe in a second location, right? And if you're sitting there right now thinking to yourself, I don't trust myself to keep track of this stuff. It's just way too important. Well, I guarantee you that if you think in your life right now, there are things that you keep track of. There are things that are so important to you, you do not lose them. You know where they are. You know, sometimes we lose our car keys. I get that, right? They get misplaced or something, but there are things that you know where they are. So don't sell yourself short. Maybe you've fallen out of practice. You've become a little lazy in how you handle some important things, right? But when it's important, you can do it. For example, what do we do when we have large amounts of money? Well, we go put it in the bank. We expect it to be safe there in the bank. We expect it to be available to us whenever we need it. So the bank is kind of like a server, right? 
We want it to always be available, always on, and we want it to serve content to us. We want it to serve our money to us when we need it. Okay. Uh, do you know what your password is to the bank? Like if you want to go log in online, maybe you have it memorized. If you don't have it memorized, you definitely have it saved or stored somewhere on your computer. I hope you don't have it written down on a sticky note in a drawer or on your computer. It's not a great place to put it, but regardless, I, I'm pretty certain that you know how to get into your bank account on your website, right? So that's something that's important to you. Well, what if you lose your password or you forget it? Well, there's that easy link to click, forgot your password, you go there, or you can even go into the physical bank, bring identification with you, and you just have to convince them that you are who you are and they will help you reset your password, right? This is a, an example of how we have outsourced our responsibility for something, for our money, uh, just to gain some peace of mind. Because honestly, like who wants to store all of their money at home, all their cash just sitting there, right? So there's a reason why we would do that. And I know you're thinking, but people do that with Bitcoin. Yeah, we'll get to that uh, on another episode, how that it, we can secure that uh, in a little better way than we could just a bunch of cash. The point I'm making here though, is that we've, we've outsourced some responsibility and we've done this with so many things in our lives, right? Does this level of outsourcing of responsibility need to be applied to all of our digital life? Probably not. So let's take back some of that responsibility. It's, it's kind of scary, but it's awesome, right? You'll feel good as you start to do it. Every time you get one thing that you like take from a cloud server and you start hosting it yourself at home, it just feels really empowering. You feel like you've got this kind of superpower for lack of a better word. So you're probably thinking to yourself, well, why should I run a computer at home? If that didn't convince you, why should I be doing this? Well, here's a few reasons. One, I mean, you can do anything you want without permission, right? You're in control. And then you also have safety and control over your data. Uh, servers really help you with hobbies, right? You can have all sorts of random hobbies and you can just have this server at home that helps you with it. It lets you tinker with things. You can learn new skills. Uh, you can really expand your mind and build something new or gain a new skill that could earn a living someday or maybe just benefit your life or benefit the life of those around you. There's all sorts of things you can do by just having a computer running at home. Something that's just sitting there giving you things and waiting for you whenever you have free time. Now, what kind of hardware would you need to do a server? Oh, well, not really that much. Uh, really, any device that can stay plugged in and connected to your network uh, will work. This could be an old laptop. It could be an old desktop machine. You know, those big desktops that used to sit down on the ground and you had the cable running up to your, your monitor on your desk. You probably have one of those just sitting in a closet somewhere. Uh, even really an old phone or like a tablet, an iPad. Have you ever looked at an old iPad and thought that's a server? Uh, it can be. In fact, let me tell you about my kids. So back in the day, they used to play Minecraft all the time, right? It's that game where you have virtual Legos, you build your own world and your home and stuff. And yes, it's fun to play alone, but it's a lot more fun when you can play it together with other people. So they would get on their own iPad and then they would sit next to each other on the couch. 
and they all decide, okay, whose world are we going to go visit? And we're, you know, my world has these towers in it, but your world has all these animals and farms. So what should we go do? Well, after they would discuss, they'd finally pick a world to go visit. And when they open up their iPads, it would show all the other people on our Wi-Fi that are playing Minecraft at the time. And they would pick one and they would go join it and they would all be on the same world playing and building together. They weren't always nice to each other while they're in the world. Usually they were though. Um, so in that instance, one of their iPads is actually acting as a server because it is delivering content and coordinating things between all the other devices that were on the network trying to play Minecraft. And they would sit there and they would play for hours. They would build things, destroy things, and they would just kind of horse around, right? Um, sometimes the person who was hosting the world would have to leave. They would have to quit the app or leave the house for some reason. And all the other kids playing would, would get disconnected, right? And they would be frustrated because now uh, they got booted out of the world. So what's the solution here for them? Well, we just leave an iPad plugged in and leave the Minecraft app running, and then they could come and go as they please and connect and, and play and do what they want, right? So that's an example of how an iPad could be a server. You could just plug it in, leave it running, and now you have your own Minecraft server in your home that is uh, always running. But next question would be, how much computing power do you need? And again, the answer is not much. Unless you are hosting like a really complex project, something like generative artificial intelligence, then you don't really need much computing power. Any computer, computer that you have owned in the last five to 10 years should be plenty powerful to act as a home server because most servers are just delivering files, right? Or delivering small amounts of data. A processor that can run the latest operating system is really all you need. And the reason you want that, you want something that can run the latest operating system so that you can keep getting security patches, get updates to that system as, uh, as problems are reported, right? Uh, something else you need on that computer is you need a hard drive that's big enough to, to store whatever you're wanting to serve up. Uh, if you're just gonna serve files and documents, those are pretty small, right? If you wanna do photos and videos, let's say that you're gonna have your own media server where you put all your movies on there, and have it stream to your TV. Well, those are a lot larger and you would need more space for that. I think for the average person in the year 2023, you can probably get by with something that has about two terabytes of space in it, maybe even one terabyte. It really depends on what you're doing. If you're doing videos and movies and films, you're gonna need a lot more than that. Uh, but I think most people would be safe to just grab a two terabyte hard drive, right? And you can get those for like less than hundred bucks. You also want to make sure you have a second hard drive so that you can back up your data because if data is not in two places, then it doesn't exist. What does that mean? It means that if you only have data in one place, that hard drive can die at any moment or you could accident accidentally delete it. So you always want to have a copy, a backup. I am going to, that is something I'm going to harp on all the time. Always have backups. So places that you can get these servers, well, you might be able to go to yourself. You might have something just sitting around in your closet, unused, under your bed, up in the attic, who knows? We kind of collect things over the years. Or you can go to a friend or a family member, they probably have something. If not, go to a local thrift store. There's Goodwills all over the United States. 
I'm sure there are thrift stores in other countries. They probably have a ton of computers. I know the Goodwill down the street from me. You go into their computer center and they just have shelves and shelves full of laptops. And like they're stacked 20 high in a pile. And if you want to look at one, you have to like move a whole bunch of them and stuff. Those are just laptops. They also have a ton of towers. So they're, they're a lot. Or if you want to go something slightly nicer, but still not super expensive, you can go on eBay or Amazon or even direct to companies like Apple and Dell or HP, and you can buy refurbished. What is refurbished? Refurbished means that it's a computer that was returned after being purchased, but is still in perfect condition. Uh, most of the time, these were never actually used at all. Uh, they were purchased and then immediately returned for some reason, but they can't sell them as new. And so they have to call them refurbished. Uh, but the cool thing about this is that they actually do more inspections on that device than, well, some companies do. I know Apple does this, right? They inspect a refurbished computer more than they do the brand new ones that come off the line. Because when you're like in a factory building millions of devices, you can't inspect every single one manually. And so you just do quality checks on a few every once in a while. Whereas every single refurbished one gets looked over and comes with the same warranty as a brand new device. So that's a great place to look for them. Other servers out there, you can go get something like a Raspberry Pi. Um, that is just a tiny little hobby computer that's super inexpensive and is expandable. Um, that is typically a little more technical for the technical user, um, but you could do something like that. And there's tons of other ones that are similar to the Raspberry Pi that you could get. Okay, so let's say that you have this computer and you're gonna plug it in now. And you're like, well, wait, this thing's just gonna be running all day long. That sounds like it's wasting electricity. And yeah, you might think that, uh, but the word waste is kind of a relative term. You know, have you heard the phrase, one man's trash is another man's treasure? Well, a device that is providing more value than the cost of the electricity, I would say is worth it, right? It's not a waste. If you have it running and it's using electricity but then you get a lot of enjoyment or a, you're learning new skills. You're getting a lot of value out of this thing that's running. Just like uh, just like you have your lights in your house, right? You turn on a light bulb. Yes, it's you could say it's wasting electricity, but you sure get a lot of value out of the light bulb when the sun goes down. So it's all relative to what you value in your life. And that actually goes right along with a lot of people complain about the Bitcoin network, how much power it's using. Well. If you don't think Bitcoin is valuable, then yeah, you're going to think it's wasting electricity. But for the people who see the value in the network, uh, it's totally worth the cost. So I ran some numbers here on how much it costs to run a laptop for a day. So if you were just to take your run-of-the-mill laptop, most laptops use around 30 to 65 watts of power when they're turned on. Um, you can drop it lower if you turn off the screen, right? And if you're running a server all day long, you don't need the screen on all the time. You only need it on when you're using it, uh, when you're actually like configuring it. So let's just kind of split the difference. We'll say 45 watts for the calculation. And so you're, you're burning 45 watts every 24 hours. That comes out to 1.08 kilowatt hours. A kilowatt hour is simply just the amount of electricity that you use in an hour. And then um, that's how electric companies price things. So electricity in developed nations kind of ranges in prices that I looked up. It's like 10 cents all the way up to 25 cents 
Some places are cheaper, some places are a lot more expensive. Um, but we're just gonna kind of go toward the middle sort of and say 15 cents for this calculation. So that means if you're gonna run a laptop for a day, you've got 1.08 kilowatt hours times 15 cents per hour, and you end up with about 16 cents a day. Um, so, did I do that right? Yes, I did that right, okay. Sorry, just double checking my math. So 16 cents a day, uh, and if you extrapolate that out to a month, then you end up with about five bucks a month. So $5. What do you pay $5 a month for, like in your life? Are there services that you use that are $5 a month? I think most services nowadays are more than that. Like all the streaming services, Netflix and Spotify, Hulu, all those are, are much more than $5 now. Most of them are over $10. Um, everybody always likes to talk about, you know, that Starbucks. If you could you give up one Starbucks a day or a month for this, right? Whatever it is, it's five bucks. Okay. Um, let's, let's take photos. For example, do you pay for a cloud service to store your photos online? Like are you using Apple iCloud or Google photos or, uh, you're paying, I can't, can you pay for Flickr still? I don't know. Are you paying for one of these services to store your photos? Um, what if you move those photos to your own server at home? Okay. So then you're not paying for a cloud service but you're paying for electricity to run your server at home. But the server is also something that could do more than just serve up your photos. So let's say you do a second thing, right? Maybe you're streaming your movies at home and you're hosting your own email. You start to layer all these things onto the server and suddenly you are saving money because you're not paying for services, but you're just paying for a little bit of electricity to run your own server. So it's really about trade-offs, right? We make trade-offs for convenience. You give up control over your own photos on your server and you give them over to Google or Apple and let them store them. You let them back them up. You let them serve you to you wherever you are in this world, hopefully with really fast connections. Um, and you get other really cool, useful features on top of that, right? They're doing all sorts of cool machine learning and, and AI stuff on top of your photo library, providing you search, other cool things but they also own all of your photos and they're out of your hands. So if you bring those into your home, then you might be giving up some of that convenience, but you can start to figure out how to bring some of those features into your home. You can back them up. You can make it so that they're available to you wherever you are in the world. Uh, there are also home photo servers that will start providing you some of the cool features that you get like giving you search of your photos and person facial detection, all this kind of cool stuff. So what if you could have all of that cool stuff, but on your own computer at home? Well, you have to decide what's, what's it worth to you. Now I mentioned connecting to your photos from the outside world. So that's a big question, right? Can you connect to your server from the outside? And the answer is yes. There are many options here. A big one is a VPN, right? And you might be thinking, well, I thought VPNs were for like getting around restrictions on my, my work or school or streaming services or something. That's typically the, the first interaction and the first time that people learn about VPNs. But a VPN can actually help you get into your house as well. So your server at home could be running a VPN server on it. And then on your phone or your laptop, you just click a button and now your device is as if you are sitting at home, but you're actually sitting in the airport or a hotel or on a mountain somewhere. 
and uh, but you're connected to all your stuff at home. So that's one option. Another one is you could use services like Tailscale or something else that kind of act like a VPN. Um, another one is you can learn how to open up firewall ports. So at home, you most likely have access to your own home router. This is the thing that connects you to uh, your internet service provider. And you should have the admin password to go in and adjust your settings on your firewall. And then you can open up like a virtual hole in your firewall uh, that is called a port. And this allows you to connect to things inside your house. And you're like, firewall, that sounds like a scary word. Firewall is just like a security thing that blocks hackers and intruders from digitally getting into your home and talking to devices in your home. Uh, but you can safely open up little tiny holes in that firewall and say, I am going to allow things to talk to this specific computer running this specific software, um, but nothing else. And so that's what opening up a port does. It's, it's often called port forwarding. Um, and it's a way that you can get into your information from outside. So opening up these ports on your firewall sounds like maybe you're opening yourself up to be hacked. Well, if you follow best practices for setting up a VPN or a port forwarding, you should be good to go. Also, you want to make sure that you're always running software updates when they are security based. There might be some software updates you don't want to do, like they're introducing new functionality or something. But if they are specifically doing security fixes, just pay attention to those. Make sure you're keeping those up to date and you are going to minimize your risk of getting hacked. Server software can have bugs and mistakes. Um, it's just no software is perfect, right? So just make sure you're updating. Uh, make sure you're staying up to date yourself on when things are discovered. Like earlier in this episode, I mentioned that lightning bug, right? So if a bug exists and a hacker knows how to get to it, then they could potentially start snooping around on your server, maybe on your home network. Um, it's not very likely, but it's something to be aware of. Just remember, we're taking responsibility for our own stuff, and that can be scary, but it's also really empowering. Lastly, like what happens if, uh, if your server gets lost or gets stolen, right? That can happen, or there could be a flood, or your house could burn down, something like that, right? Well, we have backups. So you wanna make a backup on-site and off-site. And the off-site part gets a little more technical and nerdy, and maybe you're not ready for that, that's fine. At least do an on-site backup, right? Have an external hard drive plugged into your server, and almost every single operating system comes with backup software built in. If it doesn't for some reason, you can download backup software for free or pay for some. And it just makes copies of your files on a second hard drive in case something goes wrong. It's always nice to have that. Now an offsite backup is where you have it transmit your files securely to another location to store them just in case something goes wrong. There are tons of cloud services that offer offsite backups. A big one is Amazon Glacier. You can pay to store it there. Or if you have a friend that's running a server at their house, Y'all can swap with each other. You can back up to theirs, they can back up to yours, and you can do each other a service and do it for free. Or you can pay your friend and charge them. Uh, there's a there's a, a service out there called Storage. It's S-T-O-R-J. Um, and they do like a decentralized backup server kind of storage solution where people will give up parts of their hard drive and allow others to store stuff on there. Um, you can look that if you want to. I hesitate bringing it up because they have their own cryptocurrency. 
uh, which I really don't like the fact that they did that, but that was their decision. Um, it is what it is. Anyways, backups. You want on-site backups in the least, and then if you can do off-site, that's even better. But what happens if you're, it's, this all gets stolen? Well, the other thing you do is you use encryption. So you do hard drive encryption. Every single operating system has this ability, which means that when you are not logged into your computer, all of the data that's just sitting there, it's called you know encryption at rest. All the data that's sitting there is encrypted with a key. It's, it's not able to be read unless you know the password to unlock all that data. So you can kind of sleep peacefully knowing that if you turn on file encryption, which most of them do it by default, if they don't, just go figure out how your operating system does disk encryption. Turn it on and you'll be good to go. Now, you'll notice that I haven't actually talked about like which specific server you should buy or which software you should run. There are a lot of them out there. Um, I want to go in, in a future episode, I really want to go deep dive into the different server operating systems that are out there. Uh, you know, you have the main operating systems like Windows, Mac OS, and Linux, right? But then you also have higher level operating, uh, server operating systems like Umbral, Start9, uh, Citadel. There's a whole bunch of them. Uh, so we'll go into a future episode on those. Today, you, you don't really need to run those. If you want to install one, you can. Uh, I eventually want to get you there. But I'm trying to keep things simple here in the beginning. So here's your exercise for today's episode. It's got two parts. The first part is I want you to find a device that you can run in your home 24 seven. I'm, I'm not asking you to go out and spend lots of money. I just want you to try and find one laying around. Look around your house, ask a friend or a family member if they have one, if they have like a goodwill pile in their garage that they just haven't taken because it's, it's never getting donated. For some reason, we just leave these piles in the garage and we never donate them. Um, so just ask around, find a device, something you can just plug in and leave turned on. And then I want you to pick one program that you can run on there. Just have it running all the time. So think of things that you use the most and search for a version of that that you can run on your own computer. If you want to start really simple, then I would recommend just putting photos on that computer. Take all the photos that you store on your cloud service and make a copy of them onto this home server. You could even go as simple as having a folder on that computer and you put all the photos in that one folder. If you wanna go a little more uh, you know, useful than that, then download a photos app, uh, a photo server app that you can just run on that computer and it will do all sorts of cool intelligent stuff on top of your photos. Um, if, you are, if your home server that you're gonna run is a Mac, then you can do something really simple there. You can just open up the Photos app on the Mac, go into Settings, and you can tell it to keep an original copy of your images on that computer. By default, the Photos app tries to optimize your storage, and so it doesn't keep originals on the device. It keeps all the original photos in the cloud and downloads really tiny versions of it, little thumbnails of it. And then when you go into a photo, you sometimes notice it takes a little bit. That's because it's going and fetching and downloading the original file to give you the high-quality version and then it stores it on your device until it needs space. Maybe your hard drive starts filling up and it, it boots off all those original photos again. So I would recommend if you're, gonna, if you're using a Mac for your server, just keep the originals on the Mac and then you have your external hard drive plugged in there. It's gonna back up those originals. 
So now what you're doing is you're still using your cloud service. You're still using your iCloud photos. You take a picture with your phone it uploads to iCloud and syncs it everywhere. But quietly, your Mac at home is downloading an original copy of that photo. And then it's also making a backup to your external hard drive. So now that photo is safe in case your iCloud goes down, in case you lose access to it. All sorts of things could go wrong. You have a copy of your photos because those are super important. You have no idea how many friends and family members I have had to help over the years try and restore some of their photos. Sometimes I was lucky. Sometimes I wasn't lucky. One time, <laughs> one time I was given a laptop that came from the bottom of a lake uh, and I was able to recover quite a bit of data off of it, but unfortunately not everything. So that's what I want you to do. Get a device that you can plug in, leave running 24 seven and pick one thing that you can run on there to serve up content to yourself. Okay, last part of the episode, let's talk about boosts. Got quite a few boosts. I was happy about this because the previous episode, I didn't really have any. Um, so boosts on episode five on the Freedom Technology episode. First one was 5,000 sats from Anonymous on Fountain Web. So thank you, Anonymous. You rock. Thanks for the 5,000 sats. Next one is 1,234 sats from at Lightning Store. And they did a uh, smiling emoji with sunglasses, lightning bolt, and the peace sign. Uh, I really like the Lightning Store. If you haven't been there before, go check it out. They sell all sorts of really cool just merchandise. It's kind of like, uh, you know, like punk rock merchandise for Freedom Technology. So if you haven't seen it, just go to lightning.store, HTTPS, lightning.store. Thank you, Lightning store uh let's see next one <laughs> lightning store uh 500 sats from at il underscore lost underscore and they said great exclamation mark with a shaka next one is 212 sats from at maybe daniel and they say keep the great content coming fire emoji last one is a was a zap on noster and it was 47 sats from at luke of the ozarks uh, and there was no note with that. So thank you for the boosts and the zaps. I really do appreciate them. You all are awesome for doing that. Uh, please keep sending them my way. Um, you can also send me feedback, right? Send me feedback through those, or you can just send me a note on Noster. My username is marks at nosterplebs.com. Um, but really, I would love feedback. You know, what do you want to learn about in the freedom technology space? Is there something that you've been wanting to dig into? Is there someone that you want me to interview? Uh, in this space, a builder, a creator, an influencer, uh, let me know that too. I, I'm going to be doing some interviews here. I'm starting to to build some interest there and, and I'm going to start scheduling some of them. So yeah, hit me up. Let me know. I'd love to get feedback from you. But that's it for today. Uh, thanks for listening. And then I hope that you go out this week, do something small to live a digital life with no strings attached. Later. I zap notes every day.